go, Peter, maybe you should intro us. <laughs> I know. I was, I just it's just this. dawned on me what's blocking this. I put a new ad block up, and I guarantee you that's what's... Uh, oh, okay. That right. might have done it. And well, anyway, you know what's not blocked around here is some high-stakes drama on Feature Please. I ain't a strip in Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host. Your, your long-lost, uh, vaguely treacherous alien cousin... <laughs> Peter, I'm you, but mildly shittier. I'm you, but we all wear the exact same thing, and we've got shoulder pads. To I was going to say, 200 years later, still the same shitty fashion sense. Yeah, you know, from from Enterprise to the end of Next Generation, same clothing. Four years later or whatever, they get into Picard, and all of a sudden we got, like, fucking Gap, whatever. Uh, with it. Like, come on, man. What were those guys, the 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 Lannisters? What do we call them? Oh yeah, the was it wasn't just the Frankenstein dis- Lannister or something? The discount oh. Lannisters, yeah, yeah. Tight black spandex and sexy boots and God, they really did just steal that with game from Game of Thrones and Picard season one. Those two siblings, they're like, yes, we're going to do the same thing. I'm catching up on our Picard review for season three. Um. And it just really bothers me that if all the characters that you put out in season one of Picard, most of which were fucking terrible, you picked the absolute worst, which was Raffi and kept her <laughs> when you had that badass Romulan lady who, you know, I guess she was a thing in season two, you say, but like, keep her around. Take everything Raffi did, which is basically supposed to distill down to an intelligence badass and also ninja, right? Well, I mean, only the best for the union president. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what Tal Shiar uh, housekeeper was, was a badass spy and also a ninja? I mean, the the two Romulan manservants taping space clocks all over the place because that's the kind of people they are was probably the nicest thing we said about Picard season one. We did praise the badass action sequences and also the heartfelt data moments. Well, we've got some some deep shit to go over here in this corner of star Trek. Don't we? We do. And we're going to be moving into episode nine of season four. Kirshara. This, uh, was first aired in December 3rd of 2004. Written by Mike Sussman directed by Dave Livingston. This is going to be part three of the Serenite arc. And I'm noticing a, a pattern in Berman era um, three-part arcs where episode one establishes the mystery and episode two really lays the plot on thick and sets up some great stakes. And then uh, part three just comes in with like action. Yep. That seems to be a classic combination, right? And, and allows them to split the budget up appropriately so that they can make those beats all happen and flourish. This is a good episode. Uh, I did not write a lot of notes on this one, and that's usually a big indicator to me that I was contentious to sit back and watch. There was nothing, no loose threads, nothing jarring, nothing to like snag and pull me out of scenes. Um, you know, also nothing like super crazy badass where I'm like, wow, I really got to comment on that. But 
just really held attention well, told a very compelling story. Uh, good times, man. The whole arc is just fantastic meat for a Star Trek fan in particular. The Vulcans have been a key race from the word go. Is the first alien you ever meet in Trek. It is the, the most famous character from Trek, I would wager Spock is. Vulcans are the, the, the base level of Star Trek's D- DNA in every possible way. And to finally get so much like backstory, to get this context, to get like drama in regards to how the Vulcans came to be the people we know them, how their spirituality works, that the things we took for granted that they all believed it was actually something humans helped them with. And maybe that's why they're so ride or die. Hmm. I mean, that's just a great story to tell and to lay out in this way and to use Archer, our character that's had the most kind of story about Vulcans in terms of his background, be, be how that's conveyed. And making good use of pre-existing characters, Shran, Suval, them being uh, really tent poles in telling the story and being able to go back to their previous interactions with Pajem, uh, whatever that little goofy moon was that they were Susie Plaxton, you know, was a, a mutineer. Uh the characters recognizing their established history under duress with each other and using that to kind of forge ahead. A, a lesser man would have lied to stop the pain. Mm-hmm. What like you, you want to talk about a line that tells you where we're at with writing quality on this show. I can't remember the last time I had a line that just made me go like make my back straighten, you know, like that's That's a good sentiment to deliver in this moment and it takes some takes some skill and i really respect that they you know too little too late obviously this shows that there was there was more to do you want i i just would have loved to see a season five of the show if it was going to stay along these lines but i'm glad we got what we got so we're going to open up our cold open uh we're in a high command, either the chamber or some sort of facility. And uh, the president of the high command is going over some real shitty plans that he's cooked up. This is called Operation Fuck the Treaty. <laughs> Administrative Veloc uh, is doing his best evil overlord. It's a lot of background you get in the scene because you get a reference to Shadows of the Gem than the last time they negotiated with the Andorians. Uh, you all of a sudden you've got a ton of the uh, proving grounds stuff coming back into play that in fact, the Andorians didn't try to get the experimental version of the Zindi weapon and get it back to Andoria, but ultimately failed. But there's all this information that can be reconstituted in a way to make it seem like they may have succeeded, which he is clearly doing. And you as the viewer who have watched those episodes are rewarded in knowing he's being shitty right off the bat. And then they finally get to the uh, theme song. Like, there's a lot there in the teaser. The the accusations of the Zindi weapon being co-opted or re- 
built by the Andorians. You know, that's a solid uh, accusation, even though they didn't actually get the prototype. Whatever information the Vulcans have had to come from um, Enterprise. I'm assuming that there was information sharing there. Possibly. Right? Why, you know. why would Starfleet not share that? And you can say, well, listen, there's certainly enough, especially if Archer was given this by Shran, like, you know, there's blood in the water. There, there might be something more to this. His menace, one of the ministers, right? So if I understand the high, com- uh, high command correctly, uh, there is a body, a board of directors that are ministers, a council, and then you have the administrator who presides all over over all of them, but he needs the support of the ministers to execute his will. Right. If he loses support of the body, they can remove him. That is that is something he has to balance delicately in his dealings with them to get them to do what he wants without stepping over the line that might cause them all to decide he's behaving illogically. So this is where the limitations of trying to tell a dozen good stories in one uh, season that runs shorter than normal. You can't have people be as competent as perhaps they deserve to be like Vlas isn't stupid, but he has to make like classic bad guy mistakes because you've only got three episodes to tell this thing. And maybe, you know, 40 minutes of screen time to give him across those three episodes in total. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they they get jammed up with the need to have to wrap it up. So you kind of have to make some cartoonish mistakes like uh, letting. Suval just walk away when <laughs> why the ambassador to Earth knows about secret attack plans and where the fleet is being hidden. And you're going to let this guy who just mind melded and completely fucked your plan because he's a human sympathizer and you're just going to let him walk away scot free with a vague threat of remember your NDA. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was it, at for the level of uh, arch he is at in this episode that was an unforgivable mistake right like this man knows all of your secrets can fuck up all of your plans and you give him every possible incentive to go do so and then didn't stop him all right yeah check. like unless there's a secret plot like subplot kind of like neelix and dr james or whatever where vlas and uh suval are, are a little bit more than intimate friends on the weekend then i, I don't know why he spared his life same kind of goes for this minister guy uh, this is Minister What the Fuck, because like the entire time he is on screen, anything Vlas is doing, this guy just has an eye cocked up like the fuck. What? <laughs> what? We're doing. An- we're- this is the third genocide you've attempted today alone. He's definitely always calling out the issues very clearly, but seemingly doing nothing about it. Yeah. What? <laughs> you do know that we gave that planet to the Andorians explicitly in a treaty and like. You are a bad guy, right? So why Vlas doesn't just figure out like, okay, this dude is not on board with Sparkle Motion. He's going to have to go live in a closet for like an episode and a half. Well, you know, you got to have the guy there at the end that can dramatically join the heroes to make it clear what's going on. But I get it. To be fair, these are all time honored paths that have been walked down and they are very stable and. I, it, it, I'm welcome to have him there. You know, look at the 
level of care, even if it's a little hokey, the care is there to like thread the needle. Yeah. Walk your hand down the path and go, okay, there's a device there. We've got a plot reason as opposed to just some wild Voyager ramrod shit where people would just make ridiculous decisions or these off screen influences would be felt and just wrap things up in silly ways with thoughtless uh, efforts put forward. Like when they, when uh, T'Pau and Archer get to the city limits and they have to find a way to get to the high command and it cuts away and it doesn't tell you till later. And then it actually tells you it's a hell of a leap that that is, that's it. That's how they did it. But at least, you know, you're like, that's fine. I can accept that. That's enough, right? Mm -hmm. That costs, had the ability to get them transported into the Vulcan White House. Okay, I don't know why Koss is so juiced that he's the fucking chief of the Secret Service or whatever the fuck of Vulcan that he can pull that caper off. But whatever, T'Pol was important, her mom was important, maybe these are Vulcans that are just have high-ranking powers. Well, we knew and he that's was important. Why. We knew that Koss was important because his family has the pull to get uh, her charlatan mother reinstated at the Vulcan Science Academy, right? Yeah, he's juiced. Yeah. What this episode really does is reinforce that maybe T'Pol's a fucking idiot. And uh, <laughs> this guy definitely was into you and was definitely going to be good at being your husband. And you kind of blew Yeah, it. like just favor after favor after favor. And you're just a total B to him the whole time. Like unless this dude's teeth stunk like dog shit or something maybe there's a deleted scene where he's just eat what what what's the the attack teddy bear in this what what's the the teddy bear from last episode that they had to like run up the hill from the teddy bear whatever her fucking pet oh yeah the the cat i, I don't know the unless there's it. a scene where he's like open mouth kissing one of those things or doing some other like super taboo stuff i don't think uh <laughs> tapal's really justified in her aversion to this guy Koss is the simp you push too far, <laughs> you know, like you, you, you made him have to wait until you actually were going to live together. And there's all these stipulations and he had to get his mom a job. And it's just eventually, you know, you're like, you know what, girl, I'm going out here committing treason for you. You can't even give me the time of day. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> like I release you. You're not worth it. Coming in here with brain aids. <laughs> Tapal acts in this episode, or actually this entire like marriage plot line, she's acted like uh, Jenny from Forrest Gump. Just like, yeah, there's a little s- bit of that. Simple cost isn't such a bad guy. Just she wants settle to, down, girl. Settle she wants down. To run off to space and then that, come that, back that, with her problems. That and bad boy coffee. from Florida is only going to bring you problems. <laughs> Marry your hometown hero. Mm-hmm. This is this is the this is the lesson. And now I need a, a remix where uh, we've got a scene where uh, Trip is drunk and roughs her up. Costies and beats up Trip and takes her home to whatever the equivalent of Alabama in. Uh... Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So rather than go through this beat by beat, right? Let's talk about the more interesting parts of what we're seeing here. Um, we are seeing a culmination of Archer's kind of personal plotline in dealing with the Vulcans, right? So that's a, a through line since the beginning of the show. 
of he doesn't trust them. They held humanity back. They're assholes. Always been very negative on them. Like, T'Pol really had to earn his trust. And here we are. Archer is now the savior of Vulcan. He's the position he's been put in. He has Vulcan Jesus in his head. And he has to get the Vulcan Bible back uh, to the capital city in order to prevent the the Vulcan people from falling into uh, um, steering away from, from Surak's teachings. I mean, okay. We've come the whole distance. That's one element is that he is carrying this ridiculous plot on his shoulders. The more personal angle though, is that uh, Archer has become willing to accept and willing to embrace, not embrace, but just he's not fighting the Vulcan stuff. Yeah. And it's it centers to Paul now who is becoming um, petulant and irrational and being confronted with clear evidence and refusing it. You know, uh, I like the one point where, you know, she's bringing it up again. Like, do you really believe this is all going on? Doesn't this seem preposterous to you? Uh, And he's like, you know, I'm not possessed, which I needed there to be like, you know, this time I know I've been possessed. (laughs) How many times he's been possessed? He got hit by, did he get, he got hit by a space ghost, right? Of course they all did. I want to say there was at least one other good possession in there. Regardless, he's like, no, I'm good. And I really like this. I think it's the Zen delivery that sells me on the whole thing. And if you told me uh, three or four years ago, prior to this point, when they're sitting around mapping out what they wanted Star Trek Enterprise to be, and they thought they were going to get seven seasons. And someone said, hey, what if uh, Archer, who is going to become the president of the United Federation of Planets and the ultimate hero of Star Trek, essentially, right? Yeah. If the they emo- had given the-, the runway. Yeah. He is the, the person that was the greatest diplomat of all time. What if, just like the Vulcans are going to start off flawed, where they have a journey they need to go on to become complete, we have him on the opposite side, and we have him be uh, just a, a, a crybaby bitch, petulant man-child, Rich whatever. Kid. Yeah. And through his interactions with the intergalactic community, and specifically whatever is going on here, where he gets a missing part of his character, which is temperance and uh, peace is added to him. And Archer kind of embodies the Federation that uh, an incomplete thing that must evolve and bring in external companionship to become whole and elevate to the next level of better. Right. Right. Look, the, the, the actual ideal of the Federation of a utopian, uh, bringing together of of peoples for for the common good, but literally for Archer's case, like he needed, you know, a Vulcan lobotomy, not lobotomy, but like Vulcan shock therapy of having the greatest Vulcan of all time to like bring him to his full potential. And the Archer you're getting in this episode being like the final form of that Archer that we were supposed to get another three seasons of. No, I like the arc. I like the what it would set up if we could have more. And I think it also goes back into what I mentioned when it came to the temporal 
uh, Cold War's actual consequence, which is Archer recognizing his own need to become the man who creates the Federation. He has a destiny. He is now aware of it. He must rise to the challenge, right? And here is the first piece of that. And uh, I like that conversation that he has with, with Paul when he's being more philosophical and sort of reflective of the spiritual and then, you know, accuses her of being inflexible and accepting that. And she's, this isn't science and just shoots up. Like she's not really willing to accept the, the, the premise that a soul exists. And yet, you know, she's still kind of managing through increasing evidence of that. Mm. It's a nice I touch. just remembered another uh, example of Archer being possessed when he was, um, possessed by cum <laughs> he was he was actually like he was being forced into drunk, everybody literally. else's uh it was a big giant <laughs> cum brain um, <laughs> so you know uh, Sirac, you're not the first foreign entity i've had in my head believe it or not two years ago i was so engulfed with jizz that i joined a borg-like collective let's talk shran let's talk saval and let's talk trip I loved that subplot. That was excellent. It it deserved its own episode. Um, And it kind of felt like it, too. This is the first time that uh, Shran has been featured in an episode and has zero interactions with Archer. We know that Shran has um, a fondness, a mutual respect for Trip. If we jump back to Zindi preparations, Shran ended up giving uh, Enterprise some advanced space parts that he initially was not going to. And it was only through talking to Trip that he said, all right, this isn't a guy who's a murderous psycho out for revenge. This is a professional. This is a guy I can respect. And this is someone I want to help. So propping Trip up to command in this episode felt good. I would say this is also the it's the best version of him in command, especially when he's talking to Reed and he's, he's walking through like, yeah, I know we're breaking orders, but it's, we know better than anybody else, right? It's more of that. Like we are the ones that dealt with, with the Zindi. Nobody at earth has any experience what to do in interstellar political relations. What's like, his you're name? Admiral. Gardner. Admiral Gardner. Yeah. Gardner smarter. Listen, we didn't listen to forest. We're not going to listen to Gardner. Yeah. Like what last you, like, I checked, we're the only ship that can go warp five. What are they going to do? Catch us? Not going to happen. So I, I like Tripp's commitment to like, I'm doing what Archer would do because Archer's the only one that's there's a playbook to play out of here, which is we have to stop this. How do we stop this? We have to go find the Andorians and tell them what we know, because if there's a possibility of an apocalyptic meaning of force that it alone could get everyone to retreat. There might have been one other example counter to, but traditionally when we have seen uh, Trip in the captain's chair, he's been very emotional, very erratic, uh, flies off the handle very easily. Um, Lots of, I gotta protect my captain kind of moments too. Uh, fuck you, Vulcans. I'm gonna, yeah, that's, uh, what was the one with uh, Archer and T'Pol in his face and her boobs? Oh, yeah. Well, Shadows of Pajem, wasn't it? No, Shadows of... Was Shadows of Pajem the one with the war fight? Or was it that one, right? Like, 
I think it was the one where uh, Shran had to come down and help because they got captured. The, the Their fighter plane shot down the shuttle. But that had a uh, trip up in space. And then the Vulcan Task Force SWAT team guys come in. And Trip had a real salty relationship with those guys, too. So this is a yeah. nice moment for to like put him back in a hostile situation with the Vulcans again where instead of being uh, impetuous, he is very mature uh, and has a real level head and is a, a just a, a cool operator. He is. He is very in command in a way he rarely is. And I like this side of him. I like that maybe this is a maturation where now he's kind of processed a lot of emotion. He's gone through, you know, choosing not to revenge himself on the Zindi in the way that he wanted. He's recognizing his own responsibilities. And like you mentioned before, his relationship with Shran certainly enters into it. They reveal themselves. Saval had the the, the fucking knew where they were the whole time because the Vulcans long crack their codes. Like, you're not fucking hiding from me. Not only does the ambassador to Earth know where the secret Vulcan fleet is, he also knows where the secret Andorian fleet is. Very interesting lines of uh, communication and information access in this uh, Vulcan diplomatic corps. So, sure enough, Shran comes on board. Welcome to see Jeffrey Combs. He's as intense as always, disbelieving, interrogating the information. Saval is quite steadfast in... And this is the truth. This is the plan. I know the plan because I objected to it. They think you're doing this. This is the whole thing. Everything's the setup. We've put it all together. Here's the plot. And the fact that Shran appears to somewhat accept that only to transition and what they transitioned to, it was the right move. I liked the Shran Saval torture scenes. On a longer timeline where you could have given this four or five episodes, I could have taken a scene where he reports back to his piece of shit boss about the Vulcan's plans and he is ordered to conduct the interrogation or says, I need more evidence. And basically, someone in Andorian command says, uh, your goodwill with the Vulcans is worthless to me. And I'm going to endanger the Andorian people by continuing this antagonistic relationship that I'm going to force on you. And that, cause you know, there's apprehension from Shran in those scenes, but it's not clear. Is he self initiating this torture? Uh, was he instructed to commit the torture? I think if you had clear, uh, orders on him that you will torture this guy he's doing it in protest and finally he reaches a point where he's like this dude's trying for that better tomorrow we talked about that this guy is brave enough to embrace the right tomorrow i'm not doing this anymore we're gonna save the people i'm gonna jump the gun whatever but without that that scene dressing you still have what you get on screen which is solid you know, small stage interrogation play 
uh, it's an interesting angle where they're not trying to torture Saval with pain. They've got a fancy chrome chair he sits in that turns off the logic parts of his brain and allow the emotions to spill out and turn him into his own enemy. Which, again, brilliant piece of monstrous engineering that you kind of the Andorians seem to have a, a rep for, right? They're very hard edged. They're willing to do dirt. You know, they they seem kind of like assholes, but at the same time, you can earn their respect. They have very rigid senses of duty, which means that it can be good or bad. And I don't think even though they didn't make it, they didn't make it explicit, but everything you just said, Peter, about like, here is the the backstory to the relationship that's really happening here of Shran having to make the next affirmative choice towards bringing them together by taking a risk in the same way that Saval did. And that's what that torture is about. I think that's entirely what plays out. And it plays out because in the end, the torture scene leads Saval to pointing out to Shran that he's purposefully holding off on using the highest levels because he doesn't want to actually hurt him. Because Even he knows before- he's right. Because he knows I've been telling you the truth the whole time and you've known from the beginning I was and you've been made to do this. As soon as uh, Shran gets him in the chair and it's, you know, (laughs) again, life around transporters before you have proper shielding is a shitty place to to live. Just people steal stuff from you left and right. Stealing your granola bars, stealing your computers, stealing your, your, your Vulcan defector ambassador. And beaming him into the torture room. Where's um, Hank? I don't know. Someone passed by and wanted a slave. <laughs> but right from the jump, Saval gets beamed into the chair and he has Shran saying, listen, this chair, it's serious business. And we go too deep in this thing. It is going to permanently damage you. What he's not saying is, I don't want to do that. P- please, you know, let's let's not have to go that direction. But Shran repeatedly Uh, makes Suval very aware of where he is at in terms of the uh, ticking time bomb uh, he's standing next to for permanent neural damage. He's definitely showing his hesitance in a way that Suval clearly plays into to eventually make him make that moral break. And he does. Tran comes out with the ships and says... I told the high command that Saval was telling the truth. We're in. We're in to follow what you guys said. And then drops that perfect line. Like a lesser man would have would have lied to make the pain stop. He's like he had a less integrity. He was never he was not gonna lie to me. No matter what I did to him. The desert stuff, like they they have the chase, they end up running into a group of, of hoodlums of Vulcan hoods. Led by a uh, a major that was dispatched at one point by the administrator, um, just one of his more like more comically like find them and kill them moments, just very unVulcan, and he gets transferred down to this guy. He also and- gets hard confirmation that Archer's on the surface. Yeah. So uh, when he gives the order, kill everybody involved in this thing. Like, not that you need any additional confirmation that Vlas is a bad guy, but there it is. So he sends out uh, the Vulcan SWAT team wearing very uncomfortable looking workout. Like <laughs> it all I, I are, they were all armed with the goofy amok time weapon. 
you know? Which makes sense. Makes because sense because the they're forge, in this field where there's no tech, technology permitted. So they have to come with Unfortunately, there are Chekhov's rocks, which is when a blade gets close to there, it shoots electricity. So uh, when we become aware of that, I'm like, oh, what bad guy's going to get fucking zapped by that environmental hazard? Might as well just put some big red barrels of gasoline out for people to get blown up by. Not before we have quite a bit of classic Trek fighting, though. You want to talk about just trying to make sure you capture all parts of the form. We're in a nebulous rock, you know, environment. We're going to shoot high. We're going to have lots of like jump kicks and dramatic flares with like quantum leap spin kicks just to open things up in case you didn't think it was Sam Beckett in there. (laughs) No, that's Sam Beckett in there. You've got four fresh, well-rested Vulcan death squad goons. All right. Versus a, uh, a scholastic cultist, a sick scientist and an extremely dehydrated and fatigued human. And even in this four V (laughs) three, these Vulcans get their asses kicked. do one after another classic wait your turn wait your turn fighting rules are firmly in place Mm -hmm. and just they just basically present themselves in front of the hero and the hero commits to some kind of extremely impractical martial arts maneuver and they are dispatched one Mm -hmm. after another you might as well just have archer break out in like capoeira some other equally foolish fighting stuff uh, I'm going to tell you what the problem is here. At no point has the they might the Vulcans, they focus on the nerve pinch. Yeah. Which Archer applies twice over the course of this episode. My interpretation of the nerve pinch was that like it's not that humans don't know where to pinch. It's that they don't have the superhuman strength to pinch that hard. Right. They'll like cut it off for that split second and knock him unconscious. But Archer's popping fools on the neck left and right. Anyways, these Vulcan special forces guys, they're so preoccupied in applications of the nerve pinch that they never <laughs> bothered to reinforce the skills of simply grabbing an attractive woman by the arm to subdue her. They left that out of their training. They're, these muscles, very well developed, right? Like You're doing the abs- pinch right now. Abs- absolutely top tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, they worked so hard at that, they forgot to turn to the next page. It said, if there is a woman, just grab him by the arm. It's immediately immobilized. Better than a stun. They're lucky. They're lucky Seven of Nine wasn't there because it would have real hell to pay if you can't grab her on the arm fast enough. I like the fact that the leader of this group will later come on to find out that he had served underneath uh, to Paul. Yeah, and that's why some mercy is shown when these guys finally show back up and get the upper hand. No, actually, they ambush uh, to Paul Solo. The group gets split. Um, what's her name? To Pell? To Paul? To Pow? To Pow. To Pow shoves Archer off a cliff down a slide covered in foam triangles. <laughs> Which at first I thought that was going to be the the shocky rocks and that the Vulcans were going to try and slide down after and just get electrocuted to death. But he's pissed that T'Pol gets left behind and T'Pol's like uh, the artifact, the Kishara is more important than your friend. We need to do that. 
Archer's like, no, we got to go back and find her. But she's been taken captive by the uh, Vulcan special ops guys, the leader of the Vulcan special ops guys used to serve under her on what the Tamara. I forget what the name of the ship was, but they definitely have like the conversation that they knew each other. I would have liked if it had not been a naval posting that they served together on. And instead, we know that she has a history in the security forces, whatever that's called. Well, this guy, Talok, is the guy who comes back at the end. That's the uh, that's the Romulan. Um, So like, wait, what? Yeah. So this guy, the head of the Vulcan special forces that comes out here. Is the same guy who we see at the end, who's the Romulan. What? Oh, and and you know who it's played by? Captain Shaw. No, that's Todd Stashwick. The fuck out of here! Really? Look that? You think I'm fucking lying to you? I am not lying to you. What? Like Todd Stashwick's like in his fifties. Yeah, that's him, man. Yeah, (laughs) like this would have been him in his, I guess his his not even his twenties, in his thirties. Those are his eyes. That's a juicy. Ro- Damn, I wish you would have. Did you know that going into this? Uh, I did know this because I looked up Todd Stashwick back when we were you know, watching Picard. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? So did um, he not actually ever serve with. Uh, to Paul. Was I that a bullshit impl- story? I think the implication is that that he's a deep cover agent and that he probably did. Well, this, you can still keep what I'm going for. Back when they went after Senator Kelly, right? That terrible episode. That was what, season two? Yes. So in that one, that's the one that reveals that prior to being a scientist, T'Pol was a G-man. Yeah, <laughs> like a bounty hunter. Black like, ops. Yeah. Real yeah. fucking black. Yeah, we're black hat shit. An assassin. I, I think I'm I'm justified in saying that she was some sort of assassin that was tasked with going out and what were they going after? Oh, there were Romulans that were dispatched to other worlds with cosmetic surgery so they could blend in to manipulate those worlds to Vulcan's preference. And that when they were called in, some of these agents did not want to come back in. So they sent out security forces, assassins to kill them in the field. Right. Correct. And that episode sucked and it didn't really approach the trauma that she was having in the right direction. And I think we had some pretty solid recommendations on how to unfuck that episode. But they've never gone back to that well for her. Maybe because they recognized it was a bad episode. Maybe because they ultimately decided like that didn't really fit her character and we didn't need to be there. But they still also like it probably makes the Vulcans too obviously evil, right? Like if they're brainwashing people to be their black hat assassins, I can buy the Vulcans doing that. But that might be too. That might be more than you're going to be willing the the audience to accept. But you've already put it out there, though, right? Yeah, but we've already known. So all I'm saying is that. Have this guy have worked with her on that case back in her, her old security forces day when she was more unscrupulous, unscrupulous or or whatever. Like this guy's a piece of shit. She used to be a piece of shit. Put that connection in there. Maybe even she recognizes him. Right. 
And then the fact that he's a Romulan at the end suddenly makes sense. Like, oh, here's the subversion of Vulcan society that's been in the background for all these episodes. What was it? Romulan influence. Maybe even he was scouting to bring her into the conspiracy, you know? Right. Whatever. Um, And that's if you had more time, you could do that. You just didn't have it. I, I guess if there's any part of this that is a little underwhelming, it's when they finally commit to the space battle. Because Trip does. They kind of shortcut a little bit exactly what conversation he has with uh, Starfleet to discuss what's going on, because it goes from the Admiral tells him he has to come home to the Admiral, apparently completely believing Trip. And that is a piece of connected tif- tissue I wish we had had. Like what turned this guy around, right? Like why suddenly is Trip's decision making here? What's going to rule the day for if Earth involves themselves in an interstellar war, right? I'd love to know what that pitch was, but you can accept like, okay, well, Enterprise is the ones that know how to solve these problems. We should probably just do what they tell us to. And then, you know, Trip's maturing into his position as the as a command figure and having to do what Archer would do in the same circumstance. Give me that. This is just a episode of rewrites here. Give me that scene in the form of the Admiral saying, do not get involved. Um, you got a taste of what's happening at home when you were docked here. Okay, we almost got blown up by the fucking Zindi. Starfleet might have its ideas, but the citizens of Earth are tired of this shit. This is, you know, we, we, we've we just suffered a major uh, terrorist attack. The population's reeling. We've got big xenophobic uh, sentiment on the surface. Now you're trying to drag us into another interstellar war that could get us wiped out again. Like, we're not doing this. No. And then Trip push back and say, the only reason we didn't get wiped out is because of these fucking Andorians. You know, we have to grow. Or um, even to say, like, not just, you know, how we were able to save ourselves because we develop, we were able to rebuild our civilization with the assistance of the Vulcans. And for whatever Archer wants to say about holding us back, you know, they certainly made it possible for us to soar. And then Earth wouldn't be here if Andoria hadn't kicked in at the last second to help us. So we owe both of these species. We cannot let them destroy each other. Like, that's, I think, the line you get into to say we have a moral duty to both of these people and we have to fulfill it, even if that makes putting ourselves at risk. And then there's your story. How does the Federation form? What is the com- what is the tissue that makes Andorians and Vulcans and Tellarites and, hum- and humans come together? It's humans themselves. Or, you know, these guys help us. We owe them. Also, we let them tear each other apart. What happens the next time a threat bigger than us rolls around and the two species we have the best relationships with are both nuked out of existence? Like all of us need the rest of us. I want to jump back into the Archer planet surface thing real quick here, because an important scene happens between uh, T'Pau. First of all, we find out that Serac magically knew, not magically, but Archer knows about the about Vlas's evil intentions because Serac knew because what was the guy's name? The previous host detective guilty. No, no. Um, the desert wind guy. Eris or whatever. Eris, Eris. Yeah. So it's, do they, I don't think they summon Serac anymore, do they? 
He doesn't no, get he doesn't any show up comments. in the third episode at all. Archer talks about having talked to him more, but they don't show anything. Um, more doubting out of uh, to Paul, and somehow it comes up. Oh, to Paul gets the chat from Tapau about like you know your mom was cool. Uh, oh yeah, I know she you gets her really Vulcan like her. brain aids fixed. Which they completely kind of gloss over. She's like, I can share all of the memories of your mother with you. And uh, to Paul's like, I can't. And she's like, no, it's cool. I know how to do the mind And She's like, let me clarify that. I've got brain aids. It was a whole thing. Uh, I've been slowly dying and it sucks. And then to Paul's like, oh, no, <laughs> you're confused. That was around in Surox time too whatever the brain aids are, that is a result of people improperly applying a mind meld. And it just so happens that I know how to defrag and I can fix your brain. And they do a mind meld and to Paul is cured and like not even so much of as, as a thank you. That sent me down a real rabbit hole of thinking here and assuming that there was plot cohesion and these were discussions that they had because I think a lot of enterprise has been pretty thoughtful in terms of like big picture stuff to degree. Why yeah. do you think again assuming that there there was communication and this isn't just Manny Cotto throwing previous seasons in the trash and saying I'm doing my own thing like the Syrians are a well-known force on Vulcan of religious, I don't want to say extremists, but they're out in the desert. You can go out and join these guys if you want, right? They're, I don't think they were hard to find at first. Why do you think that the Vulcan Cenobites from season two or season one didn't throw in with these guys? Because it seems like they've got a lot in common. Uh, well, no, I think they've got key differences. So the Cyrenites, they are saying, okay, it's it's the pure logic without the militancy, right? We've gotten into this weird spot where we're, we're lying, we're manipulating, we're, we're taking these, these ac negative actions. We're using, uh, we're using negative emotions, right? And just denying ourselves positive ones that leads to ruin. And the Syrianites believe that they have the pure form of Surax teachings. The Cenobites wanted to feel things, right? They want to have emotions. They wanted to, to, they didn't want to change the orientation of Vulcan society. They wanted to destroy the limits um, in their own way of experimenting. But as we saw to the point where they can become forceful and desirous and do things that are, are real violations. Whereas the Cyrenites are just really taking a different philosophical approach. I also love the use of What's her fucking what, what? What's brain aids called? What's a real word on that? Panar syndrome. Is that what it was? Yes. To Powell's like, oh, yeah, you still believe that that's a uh, terminal brain cancer. Another lie perpetrated by the high command. The high command believes that, uh, you know, Sirenites are uh, a problem and that they are counterculture uh, that mind melds a dirty thing for whatever reason. So why wouldn't you allow this disease passed by people 
amateurs doing mind melds to just kill off those entire populations. Like that really takes the CIA introducing AIDS into the poor areas of America, conspiracy theory stuff in Vulcan society to the next level. I'm sorry. When Archer and T'Pau get to the city limits. Well, after they have their names so close together, man. Yeah. <laughs> when you use that old name. So when Archer and T'Pau get to the city limits, they say, we got to get into the Vulcan White House. As we already discussed, cost is the way they do it. And they get in. When they get in, they've got the big glowy thing. And this is where we do get a bit of the mailing it in at the end, right? We had a little bit of this with the augments where, okay, well, these guys can't make it. We've got to have the point where the last sympathetic character on the boat gets killed. So you can blow up everyone else. Rip person. Kind of wrap this up, right? We got to wrap this up. So I'm going to come in. I'm going to have my little holographic machine. That's going to put a bunch of writings on the walls. And the problem is, is this doesn't have very much grandeur. There's not much understanding of why this is the lost arc of the Vulcan people. And so when it happens, there's that you're not like, oh, wow, this is amazing. It's like, oh, OK, that's it. But they seem to be acting like it's a big deal. Oh so my much so. Gosh, you mean there's a whole extra book to the Bible? Hey, call off the war. I want to read this real quick. <laughs> there might be some real key wisdom in here. But, you know, it's important enough that they make T'Pau as a terrorist, the new president of apparently that's how it works on Vulcan. I didn't know that. And <laughs> from from there. But, yeah, there's this big reveal of like, here's the Vulcan Bible. And everyone's like, woo. And Vlaz is like, I'll kill you. And then they shoot him. And then that's that's just how that ends. Well, let's let's play that out. Um <laughs> Vlas is like, I'm in charge here. And then Archer's like, no, actually, I brought the doodad. And then all the ministers are like, ooh, the doodad. <laughs> and then Vlas is like, fuck the doodad. The doodad is fake. I'm going to murder every. Oh! oh, minister doubting Thomas zaps him <laughs> with his own gun. Right. Yeah, it, it drops then, from like high level drama to like fourth grade drama. Then everybody stands around for a while. Eventually, Vlas wakes back up and goes, what the fuck? And they go, Vlas, you're fired. Um, I don't know. You're going to have to go to a court case or something. And Vlas is like, this fucking sucks. So then Vlas gets up off the floor, gets in the elevator, leaves the building, walks away scot-free so he can go meet with his fucking Romulan. <laughs> his Romulan handler. Handler and says, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> I had the war going. It was great. We we're going to blow up Enterprise. Our ships were beaten ass. And then they transported into our throne room. They didn't even have the decency to like have guns out like good diplomats do in the future. Jane yeah, Wayne Picote. They, they had to seal our gun. It was so yeah. emasculating. They brought in this doodad. I got shot in the stomach. It sucked. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> and then Ramey was like, they didn't handcuff you. He's like, no. And he's like, you guys are so fucking stupid. <laughs> I can't wait to reunify with you. It's, like, it's a time-honored tradition in that high council chamber to be like, you pose an extreme threat to my worldview and civilization. So I'm going to let you walk out of here scot-free to do as you please. Because Vlas did it to Suval and then Minister and Kapow or whatever the fuck. 
They let Vlas walk off like the Vulcan society. Jails just don't exist outside of ancient uh, temples, I guess. I don't know. They don't it's, really it should have been should have been Talak at the end, the Romulan going, wow, that's really interesting story how that worked out. Hold on one second. Then just like goes out of frame <laughs> and really opens the communicator and be like, energize. Get me out of here. Like we're these people are not worth reuniting. We would dilute our bloodlines. <laughs> They're a lost cause. It's time to move on. They don't put people in jail. Well, you know, uh, this concludes our business. Unlike you fools, uh, I'm going to shoot you in the stomach, but it's going to be on kill because I don't need you walking off thwarting my plans. So, yeah, um, ending leaves something to be desired and it's sophistication. It is very much rushed. It almost feels like a like some Ben Franklin fate, like like a, like a just a morality tale. Like, uh, you didn't really stick the landing, but it's yeah, a they solid just short, They shortcutted their own sophisticated political storytelling by going super paint by numbers at the end. And you're like, the oh, space okay. fight's good. Uh, the takeaway from that is that Enterprise puts itself in the middle. So he forces each uh, he forces the Vulcan to have to engage with Enterprise and kind of signal the fact that they're doing bad things. They must get th- when Shran says this is two times you owe me like. What what does he owe Archer for on this one? Because it looks to me like Archer just saved his ass. Yeah, I would uh, I would dispute that uh, <laughs> that counting. I think I think that's a little just frustration coming out on Shran's part. Um, if anything, Archer has paid back uh, Shran helping intervene to destroy the Zvindi seer. So, but yeah, the gambit works. Uh, the Katra is taken out of Archer's head. And T'Pau, who's now president of Vulcan, is like, yeah, we're uh, dismem- dismantling all of that whole high command thing. Uh, so we're not going to be watching you anymore. That's the that's what's up. Humanity, you're a player. You get to be one of the part of you're the big made man. You're a made man. You fucking made this not happen. Good job. I like that. I like leaving it there to say humanity. You have proven that you are taking the training wheels off. Go out and do do good things. All right. We're going to be going out to season four, episode 10, Daedalus. Let's see what we got going on here. We've got uh, an old dude in a wheelchair that looks like Eli Vance from Half-Life, and that's his daughter from Half-Life 2. Oh, hey, look at this. The inventor of Earth's transporter comes aboard Enterprise for an experiment. This one's going to be written by Ken Lezabonic and Michael Bryant. Directed by David Striden. Now listen, Enterprise. We like the transporter. We like transporter accidents. We like fear of the transporter. You botched it in Vanishing Point. All right. Can you redeem yourself and give me a good transporter origin story? You are about to get everything you ever wanted, Peter. When I considered our journey here through Enterprise, I knew this day would come where you're going to get the ultimate in transporter origin story episodes. And I am so happy to finally be here with you. Here's what I want out of this story. I want <laughs> right. a TNG okay. throwback. All right. Okay. I see this old guy. He's sitting in the wheelchair. What, what was the episode from TNG where the old crusty scientist puts his brain in data's body and then becomes a, r- a real creep. I want this episode here where it's going to be like a Gilligan's Island. Like we both stand on the transporter and we're going to switch brains. And I want this guy 
in the wheelchair to put his consciousness into Mayweather's body and trap <laughs> Mayweather in the wheelchair and then put him in a closet while this guy goes off and acts like a creep with Hoshi and Paul <laughs> and in this is incredible physique. Was it like like was it was it bicentennial man? Five body swat episodes. <laughs> I'm afraid to click the five body swap episodes link for warp truck factor trails because if this is the fifth one i don't want to ruin it for myself all right well you won't ruin anything we're gonna watch it next week see you then all right oh my god this one says tags theme body swap star trek fic finder oh. if that's not gruesome <laughs> enough star trek and fic finder dash wow. live journal that tells you right now what you're gonna get into <laughs> <laughs>